If you're in Judges chapter 2, I'd like for you to read with me this particular section that begins in verse 7. Um, I think it's pretty much self-explanatory, so let's just kind of take it in hand this morning and take a look at it. Judges chapter 2, beginning verse 7. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old, and they buried him within the border of his inheritance in timnath Harris in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gash. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them that did not know the Lord, nor the work which the Lord had done for Israel. In the reading of that text, several things become apparent, but it also is a pattern of things that begin to happen even in our day and time as well. And I want to share with you some thoughts about that particular pattern. I don't guess I know anyone that does not have a Bible or doesn't have access to a Bible. Maybe it's on their phone, maybe it's in the book like this, maybe it's on their coffee table. But apparently in our country there are a lot of people that have a Bible and have access to the Bible, but they don't use the Bible, they don't read the Bible, and they don't study the Bible. Some churches are calling today uh, things that the Bible would refer to as sexual perversions as normal. Some churches are promoting the role of women to include such things as promoting them to elders and deacons and, and so forth, doing things of that nature, putting them in the position of being a pastor or pastors in churches. There's a call today for social relevance but not so much a call today for repent and obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. What I want to focus on, therefore, is because of all these things and these issues that are so current in our culture today, and how current are they? Well, in an article I was reading just the other day, they are current to this extent that in May, one of the very prominent denominations will be voting whether or not to split their congregations over these particular issues. They propose to give $25 million worth of property to one group that wants to leave. And so those are not just something that uh, we're just kind of, you know, being an alarmist about. Those are things present in our culture today. And what I want to share with you this morning or talk about this morning is what I call the third generation believers syndrome. The third generation believer syndrome. What does that mean really when you say the third generation? Well, let's take a look at the first generation. The first generation, and then we're reading here in the book of Judges now, so this is all about Joshua. And you know that as Moses led the people of Egypt, uh, the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, eventually the reins of authority and leadership would go to Joshua upon the death of Moses. And so that's what's transpiring here. But you think about those, that first generation, those people that came out of the land of Egypt, those people that were, they were actually rescued. Let's just put it that way. That first generation was rescued from the land of Egypt. They were released from the bondage of captivity. And as they made their way now, and they've been, you know, across the, the Red Sea and so forth, and now there's this period of wilderness wanderings. I know you know all that history. I don't want to recount all that history. I just want to get to the point where here we are in the book of Judges where we have Joshua. And this is the situation that we have just encountered. And what you read here is that Israel 
served the Lord all the days of Joshua. That's that first generation. I mean, you know, Joshua was there when they left. Caleb was there when they left. Moses was there when they left Egypt, you know. Uh, and along the way, yeah, children were born, etc., etc. I get all that. But this first generation, these are the people that were, were released from their captivity. They were rescued from that embodiment of slavery. What did they experience? They experienced all the mighty works that God had done for Israel. That's what that text says. You think about, what, what was that? Well, I mean, there was the crossing of the Red Sea. There were those t plagues that struck the land of Egypt, you know, ten of those things that happened. There were those times when uh, Moses would lead them out, and sometimes he would uh, have to, you know, pray with God and, and get some water for the people to drink. They ate manna from heaven that was furnished unto them, you know, for a period of 40 years. Their clothes didn't wear out during that time frame. For 40 years. These children that grew up knowing all this, seeing all this, they're part of that generation. And they learned to fear Joshua and Moses. That is to have an, an adequate respect for them. They had a personal understanding about God, who God is, and who they are, and what God has done for them. And that is the thing that keeps them wanting to go on toward the promised land, isn't it? That's what you call first generation. They worshiped God, they loved God, and when they disobeyed God, they learned to fear God, and they would have respect for God. That's first-generation people. You have the same thing in Christianity. You have that first generation. You have that generation that were the apostles and the disciples, you know, and then, of course, the church was established and so forth. Well, that's that first generation in Christianity. And that's what you have. You have the same kind of things that happen again. L listen this time from the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which we have handled with our hands. All of that. What is John saying? Now you understand that the Apostle John lived to be pretty old. He lived, so the historians tell us, toward the end of the first century even. And so he's writing to people that are, are not the first generation people, but he is saying here that I was a first generation person. I was there. You know, our eyes saw him. Our hands handled him. I was there. So the apostles and those early disciples that we read about in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 1, they're that first generation of Christians. And you have the same kind of thing transpiring there. They have the intensity of living the Christian life. They're going to go out and preach the gospel. And when the Sanhedrin Council wants to put them in prison, that doesn't stop them from preaching the gospel. That's because they have that fervor. They have that relationship. They understand who God is. They have understood what God has done for them. And what God has done for them is to redeem them, to redeem their soul. They too have been rescued, haven't they? They too have been released from bondage. That's what's happened with respect to first generation people. But you see, in the book of Judges, we read about some second generation people and some third generation people, and the same thing is true with respect to Christianity. Let's go back to that in Judges. Let's talk about the second generation people for just a moment. Judges 2, verse 7. Israel served God all the days of Joshua, right? 
But the second generation is like this. Israel served God all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and knew the work the Lord had done for Israel. So Israel was faithful in the sense that they continue to serve God. But they're not the generation that was rescued, are they? No, they're not. No, they are the generation, and I almost just want to put it in quotation marks, they're the generation that were only religious. What do you mean, preacher? Only religious. Well, you see, that first generation, they had that personal understanding they had seen those mighty works of God and they had seen the deliverance and they had seen those things that transpired in the wilderness wanderings and they understood all of this. But what's happening now is that those elders who outlived Joshua were able to teach them. And so they bought into the teaching and they knew now about you know the different laws of Moses and they knew now about the sacrificial system and they knew now those different things but seldom any relationship conviction, not really able yet to understand what that first generation could understand. I'm not saying that none of them did. I'm just saying it was kind of rare. They let their children intermarry with the pagan nations. They let them do that which was not right. They married with unbelievers. They didn't fear God in daily life. You didn't see it being expressed in their daily life like you did when you, that first generation. But preacher, when you're reading through all that testimony, you know, in numbers and so forth, about their traveling, it seems like they were always complaining and griping. Yeah, they were, they were, they were. And they always took it to Moses, and Moses always took it to God, and God got them an answer. And sometimes the answer was something that would teach them to fear God. Not so with this second generation. No, the second generation is a little different. They're, they're inclined to want to know God in times of distress, in times of famine, in times of war, in times of trouble. But as far as that conviction about living for God, observing these feasts for the reason that God intended those feasts to be observed, giving that sacrifice for the reason that God asked for that sacrifice, you know, the reality of his asking for those sacrifices, it was to teach them. It was to teach them that you can never sacrifice enough to take care of your own sin. You need me. That's what God is saying. You need me. They didn't quite get that, did they? If they had, they would have turned to idolatry. And sometimes they did. You have the same thing in Christianity. You have second generation people. That passage I mentioned a moment ago with the Apostle John, when John said that which we have from the beginning, which we've heard, we've seen with our eyes, we've looked upon him, our hands have held him. Concerning the word of life that was manifested, that life was manifested. And it is that life that we bear witness and declare unto you that eternal life that was with the Father that was manifested to us. John is writing, he's saying, these are the things that were happening and we saw it and we have taught you. We have shared it with you. It was manifested to us, but now we declare it. Now we bear witness to it. 
Who is he bearing witness to? To second generation people. People that weren't there that saw Christ risen from the dead. People that weren't there to walk with him as he taught. Whether it was by the sea or in the synagogue or wherever else it might have been. No, they weren't there. They didn't see all that. You mean they don't know anything about Christ? No, I'm not saying they don't know anything about Christ. I'm saying the Apostle John said, we bear witness to those things, and we are declaring those things to you. And, and yes, so they came to know and understand something about Christ. But they didn't see him perform any of those mighty works, did they? They didn't see those miracles. The miracles they saw were done by the apostles and, and those the apostles had laid hands upon to give them that particular ability. But they didn't hear Jesus teach. They're hearing the words of Christ through those first generation people. So they're religious. But they're not in the same sense of the first generation. Now they're rescued from their sin, yes, because they obey the gospel. I understand that. But still it's different than the first generation. You know, in John chapter 4... Because here's kind of what sometimes is missing in the life of these people. John says, uh, Jesus says rather in John chapter 4, this is the woman at Samaria and Jesus is there. And he tells her that true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the Father seeks such to worship him. And God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. There's not a whole lot of, of, of people must understanding to worship in spirit and in truth going on today in our country. There's a whole lot of people that know something about Christ. There's not a whole lot that feel that urgency, that fervor, that these are the people, these are, these are the kind of people God is seeking. Seeking people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. People who will not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. You know, they had that problem back there in Joshua's day too, didn't they? Because we talked about that a few moments ago. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, the Apostle Paul talks about it too. That we should not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what righteousness, uh, fellowship does righteousness have with unrighteousness? What communion does light have with darkness? doesn't have any. Don't yoke yourself to an unbeliever. Don't become so uh, yoked to a person, whether it's a business kind of a situation, it's a friendship kind of situation, it's a marriage kind of situation. Don't do it because if you do it, Righteousness has no fellowship with unrighteousness. Light has no fellowship with darkness. What's that all about? It's about the decision that you're making in your life about following God. But somehow that's, that's missing so much in our culture today. Or you could talk about the works of the flesh in contrast to the fruits of the Spirit, couldn't you? Yeah, Galatians chapter 5, isn't it? I think it's verse 19. You know, those works of the flesh are mentioned there. Adultery and fornication and hatred and variance and strife and emulations and, you know, sorcery and wrath. And all those things are the works of the flesh. Well, what's the fruit of the Spirit? It's totally different. It's peace and gentleness and joy and love and kindness and uh, temperance or self-control, depending on which translation you're reading. It's all those kind of things. See, if, if you understand and have that conviction like the first century Christians had, that first group, these are the things that are manifest in your life. Kindness, gentleness, peace, joy, love, all of that, self-control. If not, 
if you're, if you're caving into the works of the flesh, and we went through some of those a minute ago, then quite obviously, you may be religious. Oh, I know who, I know who Jesus is. I believe in God. I believe Christ is the Son of God. But there's a difference. It's the difference of being religious rather than capturing the sense of having been rescued to follow. But then there's the third generation. Back in the book of Judges. This time we're in chapter 2, verse 10, 11. Another generation arose who knew not the Lord. That first generation all died out. I mean that second generation. And so there was another generation that arose that did not know the Lord nor the work that he had done for Israel. And this is a generation that was openly rebellious. And that's what's happening in our country today. People that have been religious are now turning to become openly rebellious against God. That's why they'll be having that vote in May about whether or not to uh, honor certain things that some people in that particular denomination don't any longer want to honor. They're not going to do. What's, what's going on there? Well, what's going on there is they're religious to a point, but there's no conviction. And so what's happening is they're becoming rebellious, but it's in our culture as well. See, this generation that we're talking about here in the book of Judges, they knew not the Lord or his work. They had no relationship with God that was evident in their home life. They had nothing about God that was very much evident in their worship. They were willing to sort of, in the book of Judges and so forth, 12 different judges that God will raise up to deliver Israel from oppression. And why were they oppressed? Because time after time after time, the text tells us that God sold them into the hand of their enemies. Why? Because they were worshiping idols. Because they turned to worship the Baals. Some of the idols. And that's what this text says. Oh, they didn't know the Lord. They didn't know the work of the Lord. And so they, Israel, yeah, Israel turned in wickedness and began to serve the Baals, idolatry. What's going on? It's open rebellion. What does God do about it? I'll sell you into the hand of your enemy. In a sense, those who regarded our nation as a Christian nation long ago, not too many do anymore. What's happened in our culture is that we've been sold into the hand of our enemy. If we want to go and flirt with all these kinds of things and aberrations and and things that are evil. If we're wanting to reach the point that Isaiah would talk about, don't call things that are good evil and things that are evil good. But if we're reaching the point in our country, in our nation, where that's what happens, God will let it happen. And why would he? Because there comes the time, as it did in the, just go read the book of Judges, and the people of Israel would begin to cry out to God, and God would raise them up a deliverer called a judge. And so the people will begin to cry out. They'll begin to seek God. They'll begin to want to know God. They will begin to want to be rescued by God. And if they follow that with sincerity of their heart, 
and conviction in following him. They're not only religious. They remain in fellowship with God. See, you can know some of the rules and regulations and things of that nature, just like they knew when the feast days were supposed to occur and what they were supposed to do, what they were supposed to bring. But that was far, far different. No. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind is much more than sacrifice. Remember? So you have third generation people in the book of Judges. But you do in Christianity too. Let me see. The Apostle Paul this time. 1 Timothy chapter 4. The Spirit says expressly that in the latter days some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, deceiving themselves. What is that all about? That's a generation that's not the religious group. That's not the second generation Christians. That's a, from that standpoint, a future generation that is being talked about. And the apostle is warning Timothy. This is what's coming, Timothy. Be prepared for this, Timothy, because the time is coming when there will be those who will depart from the faith. And people have been doing that for a long time now. They depart from the faith. They sit in their comfort. They look around at the different idols at which to worship. Oh, it's not some little statue over here. No, it's not that. You know, it's more, it's, it's all about wealth, power, entertainment, whatever it is. But it's not the conviction in following God. Third generation believers syndrome. The happy news, the good news, is that there are always some who will cry out and will return to God. We call those things reformations or restorations. But then the process will repeat, just like it does today. People spend a lot of time, effort, money, because they want to establish a place where the Lord's church can meet. That generation, they're going to serve God all the days of their life. Second generation, probably going to be religious. Third generation, probably, well, let's put it this way. Let me close with this little comment here from the book of Judges. The first generation, they knew the Lord of the work. They knew the Lord of the work, the work that he had done for Israel. Second generation, they knew the work of the Lord, but they didn't know the Lord. And the third generation knew neither the Lord of the work, for the work of the Lord. So if you're looking for some kind of little self-help test about, well, look, just what are you saying? Where, what are you saying about me? What am I saying about myself? What do you know about God's Word? What do you, you study? Sit down and share this with somebody? How did you become a believer? Well, I was pressured into it. Some person with good influence led me into it. Okay, that's good. What do you know about the Word? 
Did you sit down, if you were a new convert in Christ, did you go through some kind of training or class or something that would help you to have a better foundation in understanding scriptural things, biblical things? Or is it just religious? Those are kind of questions you have to answer for yourself, and I'm not trying to answer them for anybody but me. I want to be a, not only religious, but that conviction that follows God. Now, if you've got something in your heart or mind today that you feel like, well, maybe I need to address something. Maybe it's not that at all. Maybe it's totally unrelated. We've got some people who have been through some pretty stressful times. Loved ones dying. People ill. Folks in time of need. Whatever the case may be today, if it's just that you need the comfort of knowing that God is still there and his people will still pray with you, would you come as we stand and sing?